0: I'm doing this because this is the hardest thing I know how to do. And I want to be happy in that space for the next 20 years. And then, you know, if my daughter's stupid enough to want to be a chef, she can have it. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure whenever I walk in there that everything that I look at is exactly the way I wanted it.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There have been some professionals on the cusp of a dream only to have COVID come along and pull the rug out from under their feet but as the last few years have shown this uncertain period of time has also given pause to many created opportunity and allowed the now or never mindset to kick in what's emerging is some wonderful offerings that may have never come to light without this shift in thinking nigel ward is the owner of soon-to-be-open Passagiata. Nigel, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good. Last time we caught up with you, you were, you had to sort of forego your dream and you joined uh, Maryvale Group with your cello, but now the dream's back on track.
0: That's right. Yeah, I think I said in the last one that uh, maybe when I'm 50 um, and my knees go creaky, I'll buy a love restaurant. Well, that, <laughs> that sort of accelerated quite a lot.
1: Well, take us through the steps. How did you find yourself in a position um, after all that's happened in the year and a half, last year and a half, to get it back on track?
0: Well, I guess, um, I mean, we sort of talked about this last time that sort of I'd lost a bit of confidence after selling the restaurant and sort of was looking for spaces and then, you know, just pre-COVID had, had chosen that site in Chippendale, which fell over. Um mm-hmm. Working at Maryvale was a great experience purely, you know, and simply because I was in charge of a big team and uh, it was great. We were busy and I was pumping and everything was fantastic. But uh, after sort of that Christmas rush, um, I guess I sort of felt that there's more that I can offer than just being a chef, um, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. So what, what did you activate to make the change? And tell us about the, finding the site and re-energ- re-energising this idea.
0: I think I looked at a
1: space. I was uh, Yeah, like I said, after the
0: Christmas rush, I guess, you know, because it was such a challenge and a push uphill. And then in the new year, everything kind of goes back to, you know, normalness. Um, we'd sort of done the challenge, you know, and then it was just kind of cooking and, you know, coming up with new recipe ideas. So I sort of started to get itchy feet. Mm. And started looking around and um, I actually just lived down the road from from Waverley where the restaurant is going to be. Um, and I looked at a space for, for lease, um, which wasn't that exciting, to be honest. Um, I've probably looked at about 500 um, over the last four years. And I turned around um, and there was a for sale sign on this old heritage sort of victorian building across the road so wow. walked over and um and peered in the window and they had this old press metal ceilings and this beautiful old shop front and it was the exact dimensions that i'd sort of been um been looking at um problem was it was for sale not for lease so um <laughs> fortunately being an employee of a, of a company versus having my own company i didn't need you know years worth of financial records so i um i rang a mate who's a mortgage broker and um i think i saw it on the monday and i bought it on the tuesday
1: wow how did it feel making that decision and that huge investment given the turbulence of the last year and a half?
0: Well, I think that's what needed to happen and even without COVID. I think that's why I sort of committed in Chippendale is that I'm, I'm, I sort of made every excuse possible under the sun about a site not being right or, you know, something being wrong with it or, you know, the, the cool room's in the wrong spot or this or that. And uh, it sounds crazy, but I was just kind of like, Do you know what, if I buy it, I can't turn back, I can't change my mind, I can't find <laughs> excuses, I've just got to go for it. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. and tell us I about this sorry go on
0: the other thing about it is um you know i change my mind a lot <laughs> and um i like to you know move the particle from the left to the right and then you know move the furniture around and do this and it's just i guess it, it will hopefully be refreshing not to be at the mercy of a landlord like well, except the landlord's actually yeah half my wife so i better be a bit careful but um <laughs> uh, yeah at least you know you're sort of free to make decisions um, and just go for it, you know, which I think I've I've never really taken instruction very well. So it's a very expensive way of doing it, Uh, (laughs) but, you know, hopefully it'll all work
1: out in the end. What sort of state was the building in when you took it over and and what have you had to do to make it ready for, for being a restaurant?
0: Well, it looked good. (laughs) It looked really good. Um, And then, you know, kind of you peel back the layers of 130 years of being a shop and, you know, you find a few little surprises. We actually just found a – it used to be – it was originally a hardware store and then it became a bait and tackle shop and um, we were just pulling the floorboards up yesterday and we found an old telescopic Japanese fishing rod hidden under the floorboards. So. (laughs) Hopefully was hopefully really expensive. It can contribute to the renovation costs. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, I mean, I've, I've renovated a house before and, like, everything, you know, it always turns into something much bigger than you thought it would be. But um, it's basically a full gut and rebuild but um we had to keep these press metal ceilings uh purely because that's what i first saw um which inspired me to kind of buy it and uh so that's been a very expensive kind of trying to wire a shop and a restaurant you know with three-phase power and all that kind of stuff around mm. and not penetrate a roof um yeah it's a bit of a challenge but uh yeah, it's coming. It's coming together. We have got the guys laying tiles and the floor. The the timber floor guys coming in tomorrow. And um, yeah, hopefully we finish the the bulk of the sort of hard building by Christmas. And then, um, then I'm going to take the wife and, and daughter to Fiji for a week because I won't see them for a couple of years after that. <laughs> um, and uh, and then uh, probably thinking around uh, February or March at the latest, hopefully. Um, to and which which hopefully will be a good time. With, with overseas travellers kind of coming back into town and, um, and you know, propping up the workforce a little bit.
1: I've seen um, all sorts of images on Instagram with the, the backyard being dug up and all sorts of things going on. What what, what did you have to do to the, to the site given it had never been a restaurant?
0: That's right. So, yeah, if I can give any of your listeners some advice, don't ever buy a building um, and want to have a restaurant there unless it's got existing use rights um, <laughs> because, yeah, basically we – you know, the the front of the shop is lower than the back of the shop and the back of the shop is where the sewer is. So we can't really make water run uphill. So we had to actually dig out by hand um, into three metres of sandstone to connect wow. the grease trap um, into the back laneway. Um, yeah, that's one thing. And then also <laughs> probably uh, having to be wheelchair compliant in a 130-year-old building has has put up its, its fair share of challenges. But, uh, yeah, we've kind of... Finally, dealt with all those things, and we can sort of focus on making it pretty.
1: Has your vision of this restaurant changed over the last couple of years from when you were looking for a restaurant originally to now?
0: Um, a little bit, but I mean, funnily enough, this this space is basically a carbon copy of what Chipendale was, and what I and I spent six months sort of working on Chipendale and developing a plan of how I was going to do it, and this is basically the same layout. Um, with the addition of a backyard where I can you know, pot around and pick tomatoes on the day off. Um, the difference being that I probably didn't consider, and, and, and maybe I'm a bit stupid for doing this, is that I've, I'm actually building two kitchens. So I've got one upstairs and one wow. downstairs, um, purely because we may have one offering across the whole restaurant. Um, but upstairs can function independently as either a function space or Um, you know i'm sort of hoping of doing that sort of that thing we did at the argyle when we first opened that um where it's that concept of the meal you know you just come in at seven o'clock there's no out by time and it's a four-course set menu and you just sit down and order a nice bottle of wine and just you know feel like you're being serviced well and you know that essence of hospitality of not feeling like the owner's got his hand in your pocket all the time trying to get another table in, actually just sit and relax. Whereas, yeah, and and so having the upstairs kitchen means that, you know, one chef and a, and a kitchen hand can kind of, you know, pump that out and, you know, downstairs can kind of just keep functioning as, as a la carte. Um, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> but at least, you know, upstairs it's got some windows looking out on the garden, so it, it, it might just be a really lovely, expensive place to roll pasta. <laughs>
1: Well, what surprised you about sort of owning the building and and the challenges involved in creating a restaurant?
0: Um, I'm not a lot. I mean, I've kinda of done it once. I guess you know pushing back on the build. The builder's actually a mate of mine and they always want to do things perfect. And he's, he's really angry because this, this building, they built all the internal walls square to the street and the streets on like a 10 degree angle, which means, and builders don't sleep very well if they don't get everything perfectly square. And I've just said, just make it crooked, mate. Like it's a 130 year old building. It's never going to happen. So just kind of maybe giving him a little push to not worry so much. You know, I had to say the other day, you know, like I'm not going to live here. Um, but then equally, you know, he sort of said, what do you want to do here? And I'm like, shit, I'm going to walk down this pathway every day for the next 20 years. And if we don't do it properly, I'm probably going to look at that and just be like, fuck, I wish we'd done that the right way. So, <laughs> yeah, so kind of just having to think about absolutely everything. And I'm, I'm sort of the project manager, so, you know, got myself a ute and I'm doing my little trips to the tip and all that kind of stuff and, you know, picking up stuff for the renderers. And um, it's actually quite funny that Builders don't really communicate very well, you know, like the, like the different trades. We, we dug up all the plumbing um, and had, a, this like, basically it was just all dirt inside the internals of the restaurant because we had to get everything under the slab before we poured it. So all the electrical, all the plumbing. Wow. dug the plumbing up, laid it all, and then they said, yeah, you can backfill it. So we got the floor level again. And then the Sparkies came in and they like, We've got to dig it all up again and lay all the conduits. It's like, oh, God, maybe you guys should have a chat with each other. So I sort of, my, my job is kind of trying to get everyone to talk to each other, which, you know, is, is, isn't too far away from, um, you know, running a restaurant or, or being
1: a chef, I guess. Italian cuisine has run threads through your career. What will you be doing at the new restaurant?
0: Well, yeah, that's what we talked about last time, about having space. And, I mean, I'm, you know, like I said, two kitchens and a backyard and all that. Um so we got we got so much we got too much space you know we might even do a bakery in the in the back shed one day you know mm. um so we'll be doing basically sagra I guess but with no limit you know like we can we can get a cow we can you know we can <laughs> we can make wine in the backyard we can grow some 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 lovely veg um so that that the essence of sagra I guess will will be evident mainly in the upstairs dining room and I think my experience it's at sort of William Street. And mm-hmm. even with cello to a degree, just having a little bit more um, a bit more of a refined approach rather than just kind of, you know, Sean Moran style, just slap bang on the plate and, you know, as long as it's tasty. We might make downstairs just a bit prettier, um, you know, and, and more progressive. And upstairs will just be that, you know, the place I want to go to on a Saturday where it's just you're on a table of six and, you know, out comes the antipasti all at once and then lots of pastas and then a whole lamb shoulder in the middle of the table and you just bog in.
1: You've been doing this um, build of the restaurant through lockdowns, but everything's opened up again. What, what's the feeling like uh, in society and around the suburb that you're in?
0: <laughs> people, I'm wearing like, I'm wearing tradie clothes and, you know, walking 100 metres up the road from the from the restaurant. And people stop me in the street. They're like, we can't wait for you to open. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm like, just like what? Um, and I've got reservations requests for next September. Wow. Um, yeah, and and people wanting to book their parties in June and and for 120 people, I'm like, I haven't even got a license yet. I don't know how many people we're going to get in. <laughs> um, no, it's been amazing, and 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 I think what, what's what's nice about it is that rather than sort of like we have ripped the guts out of the building, but we've, as I said, we kept the we kept the pressed metal ceilings, and we've kept we're keeping the original stairs, and we've actually rebuilt the shop facade to look exactly how it did in wow. you know. 1890 or whatever, um, with a bit of a sort of a I guess a Roman edge, thanks to Tim Livingston who's doing the design. So he's like, you got to stand out, and so he just comes to me with this yellow colour that looks like Big Mac cheese, you know, like there's that old sort of Roman ochre, and he's like, paint the whole shop front like this, and it that actually looks amazing. But I was kind of like, all right, uh, sure. I guess that's that's been quite a nice thing is to um, to actually this is impossible for me to do on my own. So to actually put faith in people that know what they're doing and just sort of mm. say, this is my idea and this is my vision for what I want to do. Can you, you know, give me some ideas? And they came back with like a, a lookbook and I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. I want it to be kind of, you know, want it to look cool and a little bit modern, but also be homely and, you know, bring together, I guess, you know, comfort and the heritage of the building and, you know, all that sort of stuff so that it's a space that, you know, feels nice to sit in and and, and, and hopefully, you know, the food, uh, does the, the fit out justice and not the other way around
1: you've had quite a few changes in the last couple of years um, what sort of impact has it had on the way you see uh, what you want to do in the food service industry and also your cooking I think
0: the thing that I've known like the thing that I've really thought about quite a lot is just that concept of hospitality I think you know saga I was quite I, I'm not going to lie, I think I was quite arrogant in the way that I sort of approached it. If people sort of asked for a well-done steak, I'd just say, no, you can have chicken. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's not really the best way to sort of be hospitable by ostracizing customers. Um, I think definitely that concept of hospitality is definitely – I learned something from the Fratelli guys, you know, that you just – within reason, and even from Maryvale too, like if the customer wants something, they're there for an experience and you've got to do your best to make them enjoy their night. And, I mean, that's evident, more evident now than it probably ever was after, you know, spending four months at home with your family or homeschooling or, Jesus, you know, all that lovely stuff. Um, So I think, you know, People are coming out, and if if you're coming out to go to a meal, it's sort of like the stakes are higher because it's like, well, this is my first meal since I've been out. You know, been at home for four months, so better be better be good. Um, and yeah, I guess that that definitely that spirit of, of generosity. I've sort of been reflecting a lot about you know my mentors, Sean Moran and and, and Lucio, and their spirit of generosity, and and, and mm-hmm. I guess the fact that they have the self-confidence, um, you know, it's a fast-paced world but they're, you know, sort of slow-paced people and they both had restaurants totaling, you know, 60 years, you know, 30 years each r- roughly here and there um, between them. And that's because they're hospitable people and, um, my like, my parents went to loot shows and I hadn't been there for two years and they, like, comped half the bill just to kind of say <laughs> thanks for, like, all your hard work or, you know, Sean, Sean's the, you know, the most sustainable chef I know and, you know, to the point where he's like, oh, I'm just going to keep all the old mussel shells and Vongole and I'm going to build a whale out of them and put it on the ceiling of the dining room <laughs> just because I can and because that's what makes me happy. And I guess that is sort of what I'm trying to approach with this is that this has got to be a space that makes me happy to walk in there um, every day. And 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 like I said before, the only way that's gonna happen is if we we build it from the ground up and I'm not at the mercy of a landlord. If I wanna make some changes, I can. But from a customer perspective, it's it's gotta reflect everything that I've that I've learned, whether it's, you know, killing pigs in Piemonte or 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 shepherding goats in in Tuscany and, you know, all the stuff that I sort of, you know, deep dived into over the years, this this is hopefully gonna be a reflection of,
1: of that. You mentioned you got itchy feet when you were cooking at Maryvale and you wanted to do more. How do you see your role with the new uh, restaurant? Will you be in the kitchen less?
0: Um, so I think at the beginning we're only going to open four days um, and I think my role will – Like, I live, I live five minutes down the road from the restaurant and my kids just started going to school. So – it's, and and that's just up the road. So I guess I, I, through the day I'll probably be there and doing prep like I used to at Saga, and then probably going to do school runs, and then probably will be picking broad beans at the kitchen bench, and then <laughs> her mother can come and pick her up, and then I'll um I'll throw a shirt on and get out the front and um and you know sell the stuff that that. That people don't want to try, or you know, just you know, or talk to them about wine or or whatever. But um, that was pretty much my role at Sagra, except this time I'm bringing in some help from the beginning. Um, So my Ryan, my head chef, uh, worked um, worked under me at Maryvale, um, and he's come on board. He's actually down working with Hughie at the Argo at the moment. And so mm. we, we just, I'm just sort of ta- taking him around all the places that I've worked. So he kind of gets it, you know, um, so we can kind of, I guess, retrain the way he approaches things. But he's a, he's a lovely, reliable guy. And as you know, like the st- st- staff are kind of hard to come by. So <laughs> I've got this motley crew sort of guys that have, like Michael, who bought Sagra from me, who's since sold his share, he's doing all the website development and stuff. And wow. um, we've got a couple of other chefs, you know, on call. Like, as long as you can be free on uh, Friday and Saturday nights in March or Feb, that'd be great, just <laughs> in case you're in the shit. Um, so I said, it. In a way, yeah, I'll hopefully be cooking a little bit less, but I'll be definitely involved in, in every aspect of it. But uh, knowing me, uh, I'll be up there at six every morning and going home at 1am, um, much to my wife's displeasure, I'm sure.
1: Italian cuisine has deep roots in the culinary history of, of Australia, but it's also had a real renaissance in the last uh, decade and particularly the last five years. How, how do you see um, where it's headed and where it is?
0: It's pretty exciting, I mean, it's really exciting. Um, I think I think the, the 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 degree of caution that needs to be shown maybe is that Italian approach of you know like if you make pasta with broccoli, you know, I remember I was in Piemonte and I, and and I, the lady was making it and, and uh, she said, oh, half a clove of garlic, and I was like, why only half a clove? Why didn't you put four cloves in? And she's like, well, because this is pasta with broccoli, not pasta with garlic. <laughs> um, and maybe just that that essence of restraint you know in the in the mm. era of thermomixes and all that sort of stuff like when i was at william street you know all the guys laughed at me because i didn't know how to turn a thermomix on i've got a combi at passage arter i still don't know how to work that thing, but um, <laughs> that's what all the young guys want and everyone laughed at me at william street because i couldn't use a thermomix and so i ordered a pig the next day and and chopped it up in about five minutes and everyone was, everyone was sort of like well can you show me that i'm like yeah i don't know how the buttons work but i'm i my way around a knife um <laughs> yeah so i mean to answer your question um i think uh i think it's got to be people need to learn when to draw the line you know that's the beauty of italian food is the simplicity and i think with with all the modern gadgets there's you know no one's steaming an octopus in a in a in a um you know in a plastic bag in a combi and then char grilling it on a japanese barbecue in italy you know they might they might cook it in seawater with some old wine corks in it for some bizarre reason and then hang it out and then cook it over over fire and, you know, that just to me seems like a much simpler process.
1: You briefly mentioned some experiences uh, over the years um, in Italy. Um, yeah. Do you have any stories that have really influenced your path in regards to that deep dive that you've done into the cuisine? Uh, oh God, I've got a few. <laughs> um,
0: oh, I remember. Mean, yeah, so there's two, I'll give you two. I'll give you the first one quickly. So I went, I watched that, that <laughs> show Jamie's Italy. Right. And, and he went to that island in Sicily with that crazy old man, um, who, who, who goes fishing. And if, if there's no fish, any decent fish, he just doesn't open. And, and so <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go there. And it's wow. like it's off the west coast of Trapani. It's, they have to bring in water from from Naples every month and there's about 100 people living on on the island. Oh, and wow. I, I wanted to go there to eat his food. And he does that concept of the meal, that four-course set menu. And um, so I'm upstairs on my own on my little food odyssey in 2009 eating, eating dinner and – and uh, this big ta- this table, I didn't speak any Sicilian, and no one spoke any English. And I'm just, I'm, I'm there eating, and then this big family said, you know, basically, I'm guessing, what well, are you know, doing there on your own? Come and join us, you know. And I started chatting to them in my in my horrible Italian. And they realised I was a chef, and within five minutes, the, the owner comes up and he's like, I heard you're a chef. I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, What are you doing up here? Get your ass in the kitchen. <laughs> um, and I stayed there for a month, cooking wow. some of the best fish of my life. He gave me a, a little that his daughter was oh gosh, she was she was pretty good to look at and she worked in the kitchen and he just said, I got one rule that if you touch my daughter I'll chop your balls off. <laughs> um, yeah, and he got me a little flat just next to the restaurant and uh, yeah, we'd go out fishing wow. and, and then come back and, and yeah, just put on a my like people would fly in from Milan and stuff. He used to have a two star restaurant in Milan, I think, and then he just moved back home. And that that was an amazing experience. Um, I think the second one was in Pimonte, uh, that was in 2013. And we're at Valley Unite, which is that sort of, you know, everyone knows it for its natural wines. But uh, we went there as, as wolfers, as, you know, the worldwide work on organic farms because they, they make amazing salami and they raise all their own animals. They raise all the fodder, for, they grow the fodder for their own animals. It's a cooperative of 40 people. They've got its own butcher shop, bakery, you know, and it's just for the people that live there. Everyone eats together in a big hall. It's an amazing experience. We got there on the first night. Quite late, went in the butcher and got a piece of meat and um, and about six litres of wine <laughs> and uh, drank it all. And then yeah, we were pretty pretty rough the next morning at, at four thirty. Or we got a knock on the door and they said, "Radio, get to work." We went up in the dark and um, had to dispatch. Um, uh, a one ton bull um, wow. and then and then uh, take him down and um, we had to take off all the um, all the hide in one piece because they were going to get it you know put it to the tannery and then um, use it as a rug and then uh, yeah later that day on the worst hangover of my life I'm in the triperia which is this tiny little room with a ceiling like two meters high you know basically like being in a cupboard <laughs> with a boiling pot of water and the tripe um, from that cow um, and you've got to take each leaf over and scrape the grass that the cow was just, or the bull was just chewing the day before from it. And that was just probably wow. the most horrific food experience <laughs> of my life. And, uh, yeah, I managed to keep the wine down, but it was pretty close. It was pretty rough. <laughs> and then later on in the day, I was ringing my brother from the balcony and, and, and they dispatched a pig, you know, and it was pretty rough sound. And my brother's like, what's that noise? <laughs> oh, that's number three for the day. Um, yeah, that was a bit of an eye-opener. But, um, you know, like I said, they used every single bit of it. Um, it, was, uh, it was
1: phenomenal. I know you've got many more stories from your journeys over there. But how, has it been a challenge translating that sort of history and the, all of the techniques passed over generations into the context of, of our dining culture? 100%.
0: And the reason for that, and, you know, like cooking at Trullo in London, you know, we get those Amalfi lemons and the Tardewa, like I was saying. But here in Australia, unfortunately, um, everything's like the way people farm here is obviously much larger scale. And, and that's obviously to do with the size of our country. But everything's kind of geared towards stackability in supermarkets and and cool rooms. And, I mean, you go to a street corner in Italy to the Alimentari and, you know, the peaches that are there or the tomatoes, you know, they've never seen a fridge, you know, and they just, they taste like sunshine, you know, and they probably won't see a fridge. And the next day they're going to go in a dessert or into a pasta. Um, And so the the food has this life of its own, you know, it doesn't need refrigeration. And I think Australian produce is so geared towards, you know, stackability and and shelf life. It's... um, you've got to sort of manipulate it a bit, you know, like I was talking about the pasta broccoli. Um, the, that tasted so good because we picked the broccoli that morning, you know, there was still frost on it. And pasta broccoli, when I do it here, you know, it's got to go anchovies and chili and garlic and flavour laying and stuff just to make it not taste like it's been sitting in a supermarket cool room for, <laughs> for four weeks, you know.
1: <laughs> what have you loved about uh, building this restaurant?
0: Um oh, God, where do I start? The Roman arches upstairs that we've made from scratch out of brickwork, um, pulling all the old walls off that were part of the old shop and finding these original bricks that are just like the way they were 130 years ago. So just just Mm. letting the building sort of talk to me about how I should design it, you know, and and having having that sort of a – a relationship with the designers where we can just change our mind a hundred times. And it's just, it's an organic process. And it's, it really feels like it's taking shape. You know, there's, there's not one part of it where I've had to sort of say, Oh, Oh, we're going to compromise there. It's just like, you know what, I'm doing this because this is the hardest thing I know how to do. And I want to be happy in that space for the next 20 years. And then, you know, if my daughter's stupid enough to want to be a chef, she can have it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, You know, I, I I just want to make sure whenever I walk in there that everything that I look at is exactly the way I wanted it. Um, And you may as well do it now because, you know, it's a fucker of a job to rip up a concrete slab and start again. (laughs)
1: How how do you think the venue will influence your food?
0: Well, there's a big... Yeah, so there's about 35 people downstairs, 30 upstairs and... um, about twenty five in the backyard when when I get which which won't happen till next summer when I hopefully have a bit of income and, and can afford to build it. Um but that staircase is something I'm probably gonna run up and down about um about a hundred times a day. That's one of the reasons for that second kitchen upstairs. The staircase is is mm. is rather steep and um I think we're gonna have to that's sort of why we've adjusted the offering um, around the space in that we'll have that, that homely sort of, you know, concept of the meal upstairs mm-hmm. um, where once people are up there, they're there for the night and downstairs can be a little bit more fluid. Um, and, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think having the garden is going to be great. I mean, I've always loved, loved gardening and growing veg. It's just that my French wife wants to live in the inner city, so it makes it a bit challenging. So <laughs> an easy way to fix that is to go and spend a shitload of money building a restaurant to so you <laughs> got your own veggie patch. <laughs> uh,
1: well, you've spent um, many years on this project one way or another, um, how's it going to feel when you open the doors in the sort of first quarter of next year?
0: I reckon we're going to go down because I won't have cooked for like a year. Um, yeah, I reckon the first night's going to be pretty rough. Um, so I think what we'll do is uh, that's that's the what I was saying before. The beauty is that we've got three spaces, right? So um, I think we might just. Maybe we'll just start with the ground floor, you know, and we'll build it around. You know, Huey, my mate who's got the Argyle, he's like, just build it around your team. That's why we're sort of only opening four days a week in the beginning mm-hmm. and maybe just downstairs. And then then we can do Friday, Saturday night upstairs and I can hide out in the kitchen and just make the food that I want to cook. Um, and, yeah, I think I think that's a... I think that's a, a sane way of doing it versus just sort of saying, let's open three different spaces with two kitchens, <laughs> you know, with three different menus that all change daily uh, all at the same time. <laughs> that's probably not the best idea.
1: Well, Nigel, um, there's many people looking forward to this opening and um, can't wait to see what you do. have loved catching up with you again on Deep in the Weeds today. Please keep in touch. Good luck and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate talking to you again.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast, or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.